Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to A Living Color Abroad. I'm your host, Angel Rodriguez. On this episode, you'll be hearing from the Shandy, who is living abroad in Tanzania, which is in East Africa. And she discusses all things Tanzania. She hails from Brooklyn, New York, such as myself, which we discuss a little bit. <laughs> and she touches on all things Tanzania between the cuisine, the culture, sense of community, and also the serious topic of white saviorism and her thoughts on that. And also what she has in plan for the future after Tanzania. So you'll find out where she plans to go next. Hope you enjoy. This is A Living Color Abroad. Shandi, welcome to Living Color Abroad. Thank you for having me. No. Virtually. <laughs> yeah, virtually, right. <laughs> no problem. So, do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Okay, uh, my name is Deshandi. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, originally. Mm-hmm. My family is from Jamaica. I am 23 years old. I spent a year teaching in Brooklyn in a charter school. And then I decided that I just needed a change of pace and environment just to get away from the mundane life of Brooklyn. So I decided, I was like, let me volunteer abroad, and here I am. Okay, and you worked under the Uncommon Umbrella, correct? Yes, I did. Okay, that's right. Cause I, so for those that are listening, one of my former colleagues put me in contact with Ishandi. And yeah, so I worked with Alex for about four years. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. So take me. So let's start with uh, being from Brooklyn. You were born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, you said, right? Yes. So what part of Brooklyn were you? Where did you grow up in? Oh, that's a tough question. So <laughs> I call Flatbush home because I lived there for the longest period of time, but I was always back and forth between Flatbush and Crown Heights. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So how 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 cool was it? Because I've had I was born in Brooklyn as well, um, like the East New York side near Cypress Hills, and why I worked in Bed-Stuy and for me it felt really cool to be working basically you know in the borough that I grew up in so did you kind of feel the same way how was that for you yeah so I worked in Canarsie and a lot of my friends had lived in Canarsie and I used to tell them like you guys live in the middle of nowhere like, there's no <laughs> trains here this is barely Brooklyn so <laughs> then I, I started working there I'm like oh I can see this it's quiet calm it's like suburb in the middle yeah. of a concrete jungle. I can dig it. I mean, I don't want to live here, but it's cute. Yeah. Canarsie is kind of weird like that, right? It's like every time, I mean, I had no reason to go to Canarsie ever as a kid or as an adult, but sometimes <laughs> when I would coach the uh, the kids' soccer team, we would have to travel to Canarsie to some field, and I'm like, this is crazy. This could be any borough right now, the way this is looking. like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really interesting. All right, so take me through... Um, because obviously the most people that I have on here are educators, but I really want people to get a, an a insight on what it's like to be... Was that your first year teaching, by the way, last year? Yes, it was. Okay. So take us through that first year of teaching, coming out of college, and stepping into what is uncommon, because uncommon is uncommon <laughs> in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm very uh, aware of that, because I was there for five years. So just take us through that first year teaching in that kind of environment. The first couple of months, I was terrified. This is not even to teach itself, just the just the new environment. And 
I interviewed the end of August, so the school year had already started. So, I mean, I was fresh out of college. I had tickets to go see the Maury show. I'm like, you know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Living the life, the Maury show. Right. <laughs> so then I went to the interview, and she was like, no, you can come in tomorrow. I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started as a... Um, AT, so an apprentice teacher. So I wasn't in one classroom. So when I started, they put me in first grade. I was like, oh, this is so cute. This is so nice. And the two teachers there were amazing, incredible. Like they were there for years. So I was like, oh, I, I can do this. This is this is doable. And then they moved me to fourth grade Ooh. because there was a lot of uh, issues going on with staffing in the fourth grade classroom. So they moved me there, and I was an AT in that one classroom for a month, and that was. Probably the worst month of my life. Wow. <laughs> because <laughs> it wasn't the kids, but it's like when you're used to first grade and then you get thrown into fourth grade and then these kids have chained teachers all maybe three times before the school year even started. Yeah. So they're feeling you out, you're feeling them out. It's, it was it was a hot mess. But I told myself, like, I'm not going to quit if I can get through until October. Everybody says, if you, if you can make it to October, <laughs> you're fine. Because then, you know, winter break is right there. Just make it to October. <laughs> so I'm telling myself, all you got to do is make it to October. <laughs> it's so true, though. It's so true. And so did yeah. you make it the whole year? Yes, I did. Okay. Congratulations. That takes a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so crazy. Uh, for, and for those that are listening that are not familiar, uh, charter school life and uh, particularly the network that we were both working in, it's a pretty high-stress job. Um, it, a lot is required of teachers. A lot of hours are required of teachers and all staffers. So that that's that is why the retention rate is pretty horrid um, at charter schools. And like literally, you could go like for example, when I was there year to year, it was a good year if less than ten teachers left. That was a good year. Yeah, that was a good year. It wasn't like what ten teachers? No, no, no. If you had under ten, it was like oh, it wasn't too bad. Because you always accounted for at least nine to ten people leaving. At least. And there's years where there were 15 people leaving. Like, it's, I've seen a lot of uh, new faces throughout the years. So the fact that I lasted five years is kind of, uh, well, also I was teaching music. So I was kind of away from all the other things that you guys deal with, you know, as uh, in the classroom as teachers and stuff like that. So it's, uh, so I had a little bit of a, Easier, easier hand dealt to me. I would say. I think most people would agree with that. All right, cool. Five years is still a long time. No, no, no. Yeah, it is. No, definitely. Trust me, it wasn't easy. But I definitely, I definitely understand the stresses that the classroom teachers go through day in and day out. But um, all right. So let's go to um, you working a year there. At what point did you tell yourself, uh, I'm going to Africa? <laughs> you well, went, you went from the Maury show to like, all right, I'm going to Africa. <laughs> Take us through that. <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be in Africa. I wasn't also was never supposed to teach there for a year. I was supposed to leave um, after I graduated. I applied for Costa Rica. That's what I wanted to be. Really? Yeah. That's a lot. Do you know that I'm in Costa Rica right now? Are you aware of this? <laughs> yes. I was so jealous. <laughs> I was learning Spanish for years. I was like, you know what? Let me go. I was supposed to go study abroad in Costa Rica my senior year, but my school had never turned in the papers in time, so I couldn't even go. So maybe it's a bit of PTSD as to why I felt like I needed to be in Costa Rica. 
So <laughs> I applied for Costa Rica, and then they say we're going to, because my degree is in economics. Okay. So they say we're going to move your application to Nicaragua to do community economic development. I was like, you know, that's, that's cool. I can work with it. I'll go to Nicaragua. And then there was a lot of political unrest in Nicaragua. They was like, all right, we're going to move you to DR. And I was like, I don't want to go to DR. Hey, 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 so, hey, hey. Uh, I'm Dominican, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually turned that down. I was like, yeah, I'd rather just not go if you're going to send me to DR. Damn. <laughs> it was it was Oh, my God, that's so funny. Okay. <laughs> Once, I just, I don't feel like I was prepared for Dominican Spanish. Like, my boss, like, when I was studying, my boss and my teachers were Puerto Rican. So that's all I was around. I'm uh, like, Dominican Spanish is, I don't I don't know if I was ready for that. So, <laughs> and then they sent out a whole memo after after I accepted, um, accepted my invitation. They sent out a memo, like, um, dark-skinned volunteers, um, you may be mistaken for Haitian, and there's a lot of um, violence around in Haitian, um, Haitians in Dominican. I was like, what? What is this? Like, wh- like why would you send out this memo? I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's real. <laughs> so then that's I declined. So I also was like, I don't want to teach. Like, I know I want to work in economics and education policy, but I don't want to be in the classroom. So I was very careful not to apply for any teaching positions. So I applied for Madagascar. And then while I was in the classroom, and I'm coming, I get a call from DC and they're like, hey, Deshondi, I know you've been through a lot with different applications in different countries, but if you accept this position to teach in Tanzania today, we will stop all of it. And I'm like, wow. At this point, it's now or never, right? It's like out of a movie. <laughs> So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Africa, and I guess I'll be teaching again. Red pill or blue pill? Choose wisely, Shani. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's crazy. So that took you to Tanzania. And so what was going through your mind when you said, all right, I'm going to fucking Tanzania? Like, did you know anything about Tanzania at that point? Or just I you? did not. So I had, n- I had zero expectations of this guy. I, had, I mean, I knew where it was. I'm like, it's in East Africa, somewhere around Ethiopia and South Africa, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, I don't know anything about this country. I don't know what language they speak. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> All right. So now this is our next question. So you, you accept that you're going to go to Tanzania. Now, what does the conversation go with, with your parents who are, are Jamaican immigrants, correct? Yes. So I have Caribbean parents as well. And when I told them, and I mind you, I'm a guy, and I'm I was 29 when I decided I was going to move. They were not happy at all. So what were your what was your parents' reaction to you, 23 years old, a woman moving away from New York? My grandmother actually had the biggest reaction because oh, really? she more so remembers Jamaica more than the rest of them do. Ah. So she was just like, why would you leave America to go live in poverty on purpose? And I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. That's crazy. Right. Wow, wow, wow. That's, that's, wow. And I was like, you are perpetuating these stereotypes. And then she was like, no, I know exactly where they're going to send you. And I know what you're going to be. No, you don't, miss. You've never been there a day in your life. And your, and your parents' reaction? So, um, only with my mom. Okay. So, she was the only parent that knew at the time. She was more. She didn't even think that I was going to go with all the country changes. She was like, "They're going to tell you you're going to Mexico tomorrow, so don't even matter." 
Oh my god. So she she so was in no denial basically. Yeah, until I was on the plane. Oh my god. And take me through those moments. I, obviously, I'm, I'm having you take me moment through moment because I'm trying to like connect it to like my experience and how different or similar it is. But right now, it's pretty spot on. So you're on the plane, <laughs> flying from New York, from JFK to Africa, to Tanzania. Long flight. <laughs> what are your thoughts? throughout this entire flight well actually i flew to dc first but okay. then i stayed in dc for three days oh, so okay. those three days i think were the only days that i cried oh man and i honestly, i didn't even know why i was crying i was like you don't miss anything back in brooklyn like <laughs> why are you crying <laughs> you don't miss the bacon egg and cheese in the deli come on now <laughs> i did i don't i didn't even eat meat so <laughs> Oh my god! And then I took the plane from DC to Ethiopia. That was thirteen hours, and I was just absolutely just disgusted. I just never wanted to be on a plane that long in my entire life. That has to be tough. Why were you like just scared, or it was just like uncomfortable? It was just uncomfortable. The plane is packed. There was fifty-one of us besides the other people that was on the plane. So the plane is set up with the three seats. So you got left, right, or middle. Thank God I didn't get middle, but it was equally uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, man. For 13 hours, no phone service, you're watching the same movies. <laughs> All right, so now you land in Tanzania. You you, you, you get yeah. situated. And what do you, what do you, so you're not, you say you're not teaching, so you're volunteering? Yes, I'm, I'm volunteering. I am teaching, though, but yes, oh, you are I'm volunteering. I'm not. Okay. With on contract with their Department of Education. Okay, so so what exactly are you? Is your day to day working for this company or the school? So I teach this year. When I first started, I started in September, so it was towards the end of their school year. So I was only teaching Form One, which would be the freshmen of secondary school, and I teach math. So I came towards the end of their school year. That I always tell myself nothing is more difficult than working at Uncommon. So when I came in, I was like, oh, that was a breeze. <laughs> and has it been that so, way? It has been that way. The only um, differences here are their English levels. From, um, when they teach, when they learn in primary school, they learn in all Swahili. Like, it's mm. just the school mandate that every class they learn in is in Swahili, except their English class. But men, many primary school teachers don't know English, so sometimes they get English class taught in Swahili. Mm, but wow. when they come to secondary school, it's mandated that every class must be taught in English, and all their state exams are in English. So it's just like, it's a yikes for me, who doesn't yeah. know Swahili, and it's a yikes for them who don't know English. Yeah, right. Damn, that's a, that's a tough situation to be in. And, and they, yeah. they, set, they set you up for your housing, I'm assuming? Yes, so for three months I stayed with a host family and I was at an intern school, so to speak. So I was at this private school just um, getting in the habit of their education system and how they teach and learning how to use a chalkboard correctly. Oh, so wow. So I did that for three months. Wow, you yeah. got to use a chalkboard back to the basics, man. <laughs> That's crazy. I hate, I hate, I remember one time as a kid using ch- chalk on a chalkboard and I'm like, I'm never going to use this again. Like, this is not even, like, I never like chalkboards. I just think of the sound, the screeching sound, ugh, makes my teeth, like, <laughs> grind. 
Uh, anyway, back to the more happier thoughts. Um, so you know, you get situated. What is the first thing that you realize? You think whether it's a you know a month in, a week in, about all right, this is how things work in Tanzania. What's like the first thing you noticed? The first thing I noticed was it just a lot of the people making the decisions in the Department of Education, and I've met some of them. Some of them have have never been teachers, mm. and I'm just like. Well, how does this work? Like, they want you to stand. They have this whole program called um, Benchmark. So for the whole first eight weeks of secondary school, you teach them all the basics they learned in primary school in English. And the way they promote it is, well, if you teach it correctly, they should know all of the English by the time you finish with eight weeks. And I'm like, that's, that's not the way learning works. That's not the way language works. Like, if you would have stepped in the classroom, you would have figured this out a long time ago. <laughs> So people making decisions are not have nice new education basically. There. No. Okay, got it. Where you're at, I've at least, met specifically. Two of them who are actually teachers. Wow, wow. And are they from Tanzania at least? Yes. Okay. They're all Tanzanian. Okay. Yeah. What do you call them? Tanzanian. That's what you call them. Yes. Okay, Tanzanian. There you go. You know what was funny? For what for a split second when Alex, our our mutual friend here, uh, contacted me, I first thought she said Tasmania. I'm like, huh? <laughs> Tasmania? Can you live in Tasmania? I'm just obviously Tasmanian devil. But yeah, that's just a little a little thing. Okay, Tanzania. There we go. There we go. Tanzania. You Tanzania. can say Tanzania or Tanzania. Really, Tanzania. Yeah, that's some locals here say Tanzania. Some say Tanzania. That's a fun fact. I'm I'm gonna go to a random person and say I spoke to someone in Tanzania. They're gonna be like, it said Tanzania. I'm like, actually, fun fact, you can say it both ways. <laughs> Thank you for educating me, Dushanti. <laughs> um, okay, so let's... <laughs> all right, so you're there. You're there for, you know... You, you have, How many months have you been there? Since For like six, seven months? Um, It's going to be seven months in a week and a half. Okay, okay. Same here, because I got here in August as well. All right, so you're there seven months. What is one thing about Tanzanian or Tanzanian culture <laughs> that that you could connect with? Their food, like everything, like food is comfort for them here, mm. which is the same in any Caribbean household. Mm. Everyone ga- gathers. They call it uh, hoeing. So instead of knocking on someone door, someone's door, you would yell hoedy, which literally translates as knock. And then they would invite you in and then you just eat. Like you can literally never have food in your house and just hoedy every single one of your neighbors Seriously? every day of the week. And, and they will feed you. <laughs> Wow. It's like going to your grandmother's house every day. So like a strong, strong sense of community. Yes. Wow, that's pretty awesome to hear. And, and, and you like the cuisine? And, and not all of it. So not so much Hody for you, but Hody for other people. No. But, uh, I have a counterpart who's like uh, my partner teacher here. Uh, she knows what I like and what I don't like at this point. And my whole family, they learned very quickly. So, um, rice and beans, I can always eat me a bowl of rice and beans, like, every day. Mm. <laughs> but other food, they have this traditional dish, is ugali. So, you use ugali flour, and then it becomes this not entirely solidified pudding, and then you can roll it up in a bowl, and then you can dip it with fish or beans. That I don't really like too much. I just, it's, it's just too soft for my liking. And by the way, can you just tell our listeners where you're located right now? You, you said you're on a farm, right? 
Well, my next door neighbor has a farm, but oh. I'm in a village in the political political capital of Tanzania. So I'm in Dodoma, Tanzania. Okay. Can I just hear these beautiful birds in the background? I just think of like Eden or something. It just sounds amazing. <laughs> it's it's a um, semi-arid desert, but it's been the rainy season, so that's why you hear so much uh, animals. But if you would have called me three months ago, you would have heard nothing but that. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. All right, and speaking about, because obviously this this podcast is in Limit Color Abroad, um, and I've had discussions with other people in regards to the, the the relationships they have with their colleagues and, like, the, the, the demographic that makes up uh, the staff, wherever you are. So for me, for example, I'm one of maybe three to four people of color out of, like, 25 to 30 expats that work at the school. Wow. Yeah, so it's a very small number of uh, people of color here in Costa Rica, besides, obviously, the locals that work at the school. So I'm talking about just people yeah. that are obviously, you know, expats. So for you, are you, like, one of the few people of uh, people of color that are expats or what? No, um, so what the organization does, they only send one volunteer per uh, village or per um. school. So you can be a couple hours away from the next American or you can be 15 minutes. So I am the only... American here, and I am a person of color, and everyone else here is Tanzanian, so they're all. Oh wow, wow, wow! So you're really getting like that, you know, integrated into like the culture of Tanzania. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's really awesome. So I I remember you mentioning, you know, the whole like white saviorism. So what uh what are your thoughts exactly, and how do you want to like describe your thoughts on a white saviorism? Truthfully, I didn't even fully understand it until I came here. And we did this whole seminar before we got assigned to where we're going to be because there's only three people of color in my cohort of 51. I didn't even know what it was entirely. But a lot of activities or the way people interact can just be viewed as very self-serving. And in this age of social media, poverty porn... Is this really big issue? Like you post this picture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of um, these kids. I'm like, yeah, they've been running around all day, so they look, they look like kids who've been running around all day. So you, you're not gonna post that picture and be like, hey, these little African kids, like, what was, what was them? Like that's, mm-hmm, that's very common here. So like, always want people to be mindful of that. They, they um, said this phrase like, if you, if your mother wouldn't want you posted like that on social media, then don't post someone else's kid yeah. like that but my thing was like I didn't even think that you would even have to tell people that yeah and that, that, honestly that's a big thing a big issue that I have because like I've I for example I, I've posted kids on my social media but never in a light that would be like hey look at this kid doing something like crazy like wow you know acting acting a fool or whatever and I've, and I've seen because obviously I have a lot of teacher friends that are on social media and I've seen way too many of former colleagues and just people that I know along the way just post the kids doing kind of stuff that if you were the parent, you might not want to see that on social media. Or guess what? Not seeing your kid on social media at all. So I think like I've done, I've because before I used to be really bad at guilty about that. I'm like, yo, I got to stop putting these kids on social media. Like, this is not cool. Parents don't even know about this. And I feel like teachers need to really like start blocking kids' faces out. Like you got to like, you got yes. to stop doing this. You, you can't keep just... For your own likes and your own, like, look how great I am as a teacher. Just keep putting these kids on social media without permission. Because you don't know how parents take it. Some parents, I'm assuming most parents don't care. But at the end of the day, you can't assume that. You have to assume that they do care. And it's their kid. It's not your kid. It's their kid at the end of the day. 
So it's um yeah, that's that's so that, but I think it's very interesting you mentioned that that dynamic uh in terms of the the white teachers with black kids. I've always obviously working on common, we're we're predominantly black community and but we also work with white colleagues. And I try to give my my former colleagues at that point, even you know current colleagues, like the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like interactions with kids of color. And then sometimes I cringe, and I almost like yeah. don't even know what to say because I don't know. I don't want to come across as like, oh, I'm jumping the gun already and thinking you have like the worst intentions in mind or whatever, uh-huh. or, or you're just completely ignorant. So it's like I almost don't even know what to say sometimes to things I hear from people and just the way to describe certain situations. In regards to a certain demographic, right? And I think they think they're just talking about kids. But wait, you got to remember, you're talking about a demographic of kids. Especially if you work with predominantly 90% one one race and one ethnicity. Like, you need to be aware of the language they use in regards to that. And I think a lot of times, people are very oblivious to that. Very, um, I remember, um, the word that they have here for foreigners is wazungu. And the literal translation is European foreigners. But if they don't know you... They're just gonna call you Wazungu, regardless if you're European or not. Okay. So, um, when we first arrived, we were in this very small region called Tonga. So, seeing foreigners there is like a shock. So, all um, the white volunteers, like every day they walk down the street, you hear Wazungu, 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 and they were just getting so annoyed. And then, um, during a session, this one girl, she asked, like, what do you do when you're tired of being called Mzungu or Wazungu? And I didn't, I was just like, let me just listen, because, you know, it's not my issue. I've never been called that. I look like everybody else here. So this one volunteer who's been here for a couple of years now, because she's been extending, she said, I just yell out, um, why Africa? And I was like, um... So let's let's not do that. She said, "What white Africa? Why Africa? Which is like African? Oh, just Africans. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay." And I'm like, "That's not the same connotation. I mean, you have to understand the context." I'm like, "Yeah, it might be very, very annoying coming from America where everything's personalized, and you get here and no one knows your name, but they're just calling you European foreigner all day. But some of these people have literally never seen white people before." So for you to be walking around yelling Africans, Africans, that's how how is that a viable solution? Yeah, it's really it's really idiotic, honestly. So way to probably get yourself hurt, honestly, versus anything else. Like that's not yeah, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and do you think that in your again in your interactions with the your, the volunteers there or whatever, do you feel that there's this kind of you know? Uh, Messiah complex. Do you see that prominently there or no? I see it among, I'm not going to say all of the volunteers because some of them are more socially aware than others and some of them just, I'm just going to, they just don't have no sense. But I feel like sometimes it's even portrayed in the organization as a whole. I won't name it because of just in case they listen. Yeah. <laughs> <But>, um, <laughs> yeah. Don't name the organization. <laughs> we had an issue with um, Tanzania giving us work permits because there's elections coming up this year. So the president, his entire campaign is about limited foreign influence. So he does he wants less foreign influence in Tanzania than they've had in the past. So he didn't want to give this organization work permits. So the first cohort that got here in February, they had to leave in January because they never got work permits. 
I've been here for seven months without a work permit, and apparently it's supposed to be coming in two weeks, so we will see. But the whole idea was um, we're pushing for the education cohort because we know Tanzania needs teachers. And I'm like, yes, that may be true, but if a country tells you they don't want foreigners, like, who are you to tell them, no, you need us here? That was my whole idea on the situation. And then there's been individual volunteers. Um, so the way Tanzanian culture works, the dress code depends on the region and the religion of where you live. So I live in a Christian region, so it's less strict than other regions. But some people live in Muslim regions, so your dress has to cover your ankles. You cannot show your shoulders X, Y, and Z. So this one volunteer, she was, she's... She was like, well, I want to wear shorts and a tank top because it's 90 degrees. And I feel like that's my American culture. So me wearing shorts and a tank top is sharing my American culture with them. And they shouldn't be able to tell me anything because they need me here because I'm here to teach their kids. And I'm like, that's, that is that is not what, what you're here to do. <laughs> I'm like, they don't need you as an individual here. No, they do not. Yeah. You can be sent home. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, like, how do you feel that you're treated, right, on the other end of the spectrum? Fortunately, from, I've, heard, I've had many black Americans tell me their experience, how they get treated worse than their white counterparts. But I personally have not had that experience yet because, you know, I have 18 more, 18 more months to go, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I have not had that experience. Like, I've, I haven't had to explain my heritage and people not believe me that I was American or being treated lesser than. Granted, my Swahili is better than the other volunteer who is in the region with me. So if we're communicating, they will always look at me anyway. And I'm more integrated into my community than she is with hers. So I feel like I'm just having a better experience overall. Some Tanzanians here, they will look at me and they be like, you're not Tanzanian. And I'm like, no, and they be like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm American. And they're like, oh, hey, how's America? And then we'll have to re-educate them on, you know, what they think America is. But mm-hmm. I've never had that experience where it's like, no, you're not American. You can't be. You're black. Mm, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's interesting. And so you have 18 more months left, you said? Yep. Do you see yourself at this point extending or be like, this is a good experience. Let me Let me head back to Brooklyn. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see myself extend because, one, I feel like, well, I still want to go back and get my master's, and even though I know I'm young, my brain keeps telling me that I'm going to be so old when I finish. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like if I extend, I'm just going to be even older, and my life is just wasting away. <laughs> Says the 23-year-old to the 29-year-old, but continue. Right. <laughs> Okay, so you, you don't see, do you, and you not see yourself extending because of that, just that professional part, like I want to get my master's, or you think it has to do and also with to Tanzania? Ex- yeah, with Tanzania, I wanted to extend in another country, like get an, a new experience somewhere else, but they don't really have that as an option. I would have to do another program entirely, and I wanted to extend if I can work in an economic field, which mm-hmm. is also not an option. Most of the extended positions are with like um, humanity involved and community development. And I'm like, well, I already did that for two years. I want to, I want to do something else. Yeah. And do you have like, well, is it Costa Rica in the cards? Is that the one that you want? Your, your dream location? It is. 
years. If I could, they they have shorter programs with our which are seven months to twelve years um to twelve months mm-hmm. long. So if Costa Rica was open at the time that I finish, I would absolutely hop on over. <laughs> it's pretty cool here. Not gonna, not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's great? What's cool of like talking to someone that's from Brooklyn that's also doing that because the one thing that I have not I've yet to meet anyone here that is from. I have people that are from New York, but no one from the city. Everybody, <laughs> everyone that I've met, yeah, they're from uh, they're from upstate, and they probably they, and they and they hate to hear. It. I always make sure I say that to them. I'm like, you're not really from New York. They get so mad, but they know I'm just joking around. But a part of me is not joking around at the same time, because <laughs> you know we hold that dearly. We hold New York City very dearly for the people that are not from New York City, and so to hear somebody from Brooklyn, New York, uh, living in Tanzania. You know, it's kind of, again because I know nothing about Tanzania, so I think that's just really, that's really cool that you know, and you're you're really young. You're 23. What where did you go to school by the way? Did you say in New York or you are you? I went to Baruch. Right nice CUNY. I went to York. Yeah. Represent yo. Yeah yeah. So the CUNY grad from Brooklyn, New York, going abroad. Like I think that's that's the thing because I think people don't realize, and I'm sure you probably experienced this yourself in talking to people people your age and people from Brooklyn that this is actually very possible for us. You know, it's it's yep. not it's not a thing of, oh, it's only for, you know, white people. Like <laughs> like no, if you try to find the program, do your research, do this, that like, you will find places that want you and want you to be there to make a difference and then you could also become a better person yourself. Cause I don't know about I'm sure for you and as well for myself, like I already know I've already learned so much about myself in the seven months that I've been here, right? I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah, sometimes I'll be tired of myself. I'm like, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I just think that's really dope that uh, you're doing that. And again, I I personally would be probably wouldn't be able to do that. I had to stay. I had to do the uh, going abroad 1.0. I'm like, all right, somewhere I know the language, somewhere where I look Costa Rican, because I'm like, all right, that that's it. That's it for me. That's probably gonna be the spot. So uh, that's pretty dope, and I'm happy that it's going well so far, it seems, for you, right? Yes, it is. But, I mean, I feel like everyone should learn Swahili at some point. It's supposed to be a base one, like a level one language, like one of the easiest languages really? to learn. Really? But, mm, supposedly. But I feel like in American school, we only get taught romance languages. This mm-hmm. is not a romance language, no. so it can be as level one as it wants, but it's nothing about this language was familiar to me. Gotcha, gotcha. And as some, as some, for some parting words, Deshanti, what would you say? What would you tell someone that is not living abroad, someone around you know your age, just coming out of college? You know, why should someone live and go abroad in Tanzania? Why? For someone growing up in New York City specifically, you are living in a bubble. Like the rest of the world is not like New York. You need to experience how other people think, how other people are living. You need to get out of this mentality that New York is the one and only, that everyone thinks like New Yorkers. It is crazy how people view the world. We're not from a big city with uh, diversity, and especially going abroad. Maybe uh, you don't have to come to Africa, but coming to the continent where people have like a very limited view of what it even means to be American, just your presence will, you know, cause a shift in your thinking. 
That's real. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I, I think I'm gonna have to disagree. I think New York is the only place in the world now. <laughs> It is the number one place ever. Is it? <laughs> it is, but everyone know, is not in New York. When you when you hear when I hear how these volunteers have grown up, or certain things that come out of their mouth. Oh my God! I remember this this one girl. She asked me because I told her I was like, "Oh, I love the smell of fresh cut grass. I haven't smelled this in a while." She goes, "But you're from New York City. When would you have smelled that?" <laughs> <laughs> so excuse me. Oh, that's actually really funny though. <laughs> episode with the shandy um this is my first episode where i speak to someone from brooklyn new york born and raised so that's pretty cool uh, i definitely felt the connection there and hence why i was asking so many questions to see if we had uh similarities and obviously differences in our you know from the time that we decided to we're gonna go abroad to then actually living abroad and it's just always very informative. Again, I, I sound like a broken record, but I tell you, it's when you talk to somebody that's living somewhere that you have no knowledge about, it's really cool and it's really enlightening. So just to know about things like that and also the fact that I'm going to Africa, I'm going to East Africa in July, I'm going to travel to Kenya with some people that I've actually interviewed on the podcast, about three of them that, that I've interviewed on the podcast, so that should be cool, that trip in July. But uh, anyways, back to this episode. So, <laughs> so it's just really cool to hear about that. Like, the, for example, that that whole holy thing, that you can just go knock on people's doors within the community. I mean, again, I might be oversimplifying it, but that's the way it sounded like. You could just knock on people's doors and they will feed you. And I think that's a very one. It's really cool, and obviously it's very foreign to me. I've never knocked on somebody's door and like, hey, can I get some food? So uh, that's kind of cool to hear that. That's how like you know things go down and and people feel that sense of community with with within each other and obviously being from new york you can't just do that in new york and she even mentions how the fact that you know she and new york is a bubble because it is and i love new york city and i miss new york city every day probably but i know that new york is a bubble and it's not even that new york is better than other places which it is no i'm joking but not even that New York, you know, is better than other places in the world. But the fact that I'm here in Costa Rica, she's in Tanzania, and, you know, whoever I've interviewed, they're living away from home. It just gives you perspective and in life, all you want, honestly, or at least what people should try to achieve and attain is perspective. Because I just think it makes you a, a, a well-rounded uh, individual. And if you don't have the perspective, you're just missing out on a lot of things. I'm not even just talking about just perspective of living in different places, just perspectives on on, on thoughts, on ideas, on, you know, because we don't we don't think the same, like she noted, right? There's certain things, certain cultural differences in many different places around the world that either you want to grasp, you want to understand, or you don't understand, but at least you have the perspective, right? You 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 see it for what it is and not for what you want it to be. And I think that's an important distinction to make when it comes to um, this life of living abroad for us, for the people that are doing it, and for those that are interested. There's definitely one big <laughs> component is under, under trying to understand uh, the different perspectives and different cultural differences and all those things. But yeah, hope you enjoy. On next week's episode, I am very excited about it. 
I'm going to be interviewing my former professor slash mentor, Mark Adams, who is a renowned uh, jazz pianist and tours all over the world and is going to be about mentorship. Um, he's going to, he actually brought up the idea to me, which I thought was pretty cool. He's going to be discussing basically my life uh, through his lens, you know, me being his mentee and him being my mentor. And also I'm going to talk to him about how he became the great musician and professor that he is because his life is a pretty amazing life. He's a beacon of excellence and perseverance and all these other things. So I think it's not going to be only good for me to hear from my mentor, most of anyone tuning in on, on why it's important, I think, to have a mentor and those, those relationships that, that you can have with people that can guide you in life because I think it's very important to have people, you know, outside of your, your nuclear family, it's important to have someone that you could rely on like a mentor. So I'm very excited about that. Hope you tune in. But yeah, uh, leave a review, please, on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Uh, just let me know your thoughts. I really enjoyed doing this and I'm looking forward to see, talk to you guys soon. This is In Living Color Abroad. Peace.